2: Smeddy here. All right, welcome to yet another episode of Golik and Smeddy. Um we, we, I guess, we get to keep doing it, right? Our second, uh, our second episode. First one seemed to go pretty well. Let's hope the second one we can uh, we can keep this thing going.
1: Fingers crossed, we have a lot of uh sports to get to, so we probably won't harp as much about typewriters and uh shift stick in
2: this episode, but so shift stick, my god, stick shift. I I I Oh, whatever. I, I am god, amazed. I, I knew that didn't I am sound amazed right. amazed <laughs> at the amount of reaction I got that you have never driven a stick shift in your life. Your parents, I hope you discussed it with them. They they I, I, they had to be sickened as well.
1: No, my my parents. They know when they taught me to drive. Keep it simple. Like, oh we're, my we're doing gosh. automatic.
2: <laughs> wow. All right, I would have moved right past it if you didn't butcher, you know, stick shift. Or
0: shit stick so I can't bad. believe I
1: just did that. You the- know, I re- I re-listened to the beginning of last week's episode and was like, wow, I sound like a complete dumbass. With like my <laughs> my typewriter takes. Next week I'll do better, and I already started off on the wrong foot. It's
2: amazing the amount of people I had a discussion with of just how better it was for us typewriter users when it when it went from a typewriter to an electric typewriter how much better it was uh but then where we are now again it was it was a lot of fun to talk about we'll get into more instances of uh the age gap difference if you're listening for the first time uh uh jess uh, Smetana, mike Golick, senior here we're both notre dame grads we just did it in different decades uh by the time i retired from my years in the nfl jess was just being born. So there is a, there is a generational gap. She went to school at Notre Dame with my daughter. So we'll have some fun in there and talking about the generational gap things of which there are many, but there is a ton just going on uh, in sports. I'm not even going to give a bachelor rant like I did last week because the bachelor bachelor hasn't started yet. So we have some time (laughs) Uh, in between that. That's the only thing saving you from that, but there is a ton going on in sports right now. And you have to start with March madness, both the men's side But let's start on the women's side. Listen, people, you knew it was going to happen. People knew it was going to happen. Yes, we're going to talk Notre Dame because we are both alumni of Notre Dame. And when the Notre Dame women beat a team as bad as they did and when they beat Oklahoma by, what, 44 points, you have to lead with that because that was just an ass-kicking.
1: Oh, it was a complete ass-kicking. In the game before that, where Notre Dame played uh, Massachusetts, Olivia Miles became the first freshman in NCAA history to record a triple-double, which I thought was really cool. This women's tournament has had so many upsets so far. Uh, My bracket somehow is still intact with my final four, but the rest of it is just all red because... Baylor's been upset. Iowa's been upset. Virginia Tech has been upset. Um, on Monday night, LSU and Arizona both lost to lower seeds, so or higher seeds, I should say. So yeah. it has been a really exciting weekend. And yeah, Notre Dame has been, for me, the most exciting part because, you know, like you mentioned, we're, we're both alumni here. So I've been really happy to see this team, which had a phenomenal run with Muffet McGraw. Yeah. Muffet McGraw retired in 2020. Neil Ivy, who she was, you know, in a lot of ways— um, Muffet was her protege. She took the reins. They didn't make the tournament last year. They're back in the tournament this year, and uh, Neal Ivey gets to make the Sweet 16 her first time in the tournament.
2: And, and the interesting thing is this with, with Muffet, this was a team, you know, she won a couple of national titles, but they were always up there, that one and two seed in that area. Here they're a five seed, and, and it was Oklahoma they beat who was the four seed, and they smoked them. Uh, but you're right. It's usually a chalk tournament. As you mentioned, a number of upsets beginning with the fact of what was it? South Dakota sitting there as a 10 seed, taking out Baylor, uh, moving on to the Sweet 16. But but I find it interesting that so Notre Dame gets that when they play North Carolina State, the 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 one seed uh, in the in Bridgeport. And if they win that game, they get the winner of Indiana and Yukon. the Muffet mm. and Gino Auriemma battles over the years between Notre Dame and Yukon. Of which, unfortunately, UConn won their fair share of it, with Gino having, what, 11 national titles. He it has a dynasty. There's no denying that. Uh, and Muffet and Gino, I don't think, were ever the best of friends. Uh, I always want to want to get him in a, in a golf outing and put him in the same foursome and then just follow him around with a camera and, and see what that would be. <laughs> but he's still there. Obviously, Muffin not there. But we could have, uh, in the Elite Eight, we could have that Notre Dame-UConn matchup again.
1: Yeah, and I think, like you mentioned, there's been a lot. There's been a lot more upsets this year, and I think there maybe are a few reasons for it. For one, um, I think after the seeding came out for this year's tournament, a lot of people thought that some of the seeds were wrong. Like South Dakota State, for example, had a really good regular season, but somehow ended up a 10 seed, and some people thought maybe they should be higher. So then they go out and beat Baylor, and it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, they they're pretty talented. There's also been such an investment. In women's sports over the last like decade that I think has finally like some of the talent has begun to spread out among mid-major teams. So you are seeing more mid-major upsets like Florida Gulf Coast beating Virginia Tech. And I think that that's really cool. And when, you know, women's sports finally is having its moment where it gets to have the March Madness moniker, people get to follow along and make brackets. It's great to see this tournament be super exciting and super fun to follow along.
2: Well, I mean, that's, that's the fun of following. It always has been on the men's side is because of those upsets. But as we've seen 12 fives aren't as, separated in the men's side either like you're just talking about the women's side especially with the mid-majors but that's what we always played the men's side for and we talked about it last week the early upsets but then you wanted the blue bloods late you know from the maybe that elite eight or final four on you were hoping for the blue bloods unless you're obviously a fan of one of the other teams a mid-market or a smaller college team but if we could start getting that on the women's side because it it did you just kind of were like well, you know, all UConn, the it was always get... UConn, yeah, UConn, yeah.
1: Tennessee. Yeah. I think yes, that... Yeah. And I think those schools were the schools that predominantly like put a lot of investment into women's sports. So they would get top recruits every year. And now I think like youth women's basketball has gotten so much more uh, investment and influence and the, the WNBA has been so strong and successful over the past decade that it kind of like starts from the bottom up and then also from the top, it trickles down. So it's, it's really great to see it. Um, and I'm excited to keep watching because the last five years, honestly, like we've seen more parody in, in the uh, women's tournament. There hasn't been the same winner year after year after year. And so it seems like people are, are finally starting to notice that. So it's pretty cool.
2: It's interesting. I'm wondering, Jess, if you, do you like a dynasty or do you like when different teams like uh, a one-team wins it, a different team wins it, and, and it's always spreading out amongst different teams. Maybe a team wins it two or three times. But, you know, you have the dynasty of UConn and 11 wins. You had Pat Summitt at Tennessee before that. We have the dynasties we've seen in other sports, football, basketball, baseball. Are you more a fan of a dynasty? Are you more a fan of having the parry and have it switch off a little more?
1: I'm more of a fan of, of just chaos in general. I love when there's big upsets, and I love when other teams can kind of get a – get a glimpse of that success elsewhere so yeah I think I think no matter what seeing a different winner every year for, I think for me would be best case scenario I just love to see everyone get to have their chances you know to shine in the spotlight so that's what's been cool about the last five or six years of uh the women's tournament well I
2: think it is good because winning can beget winning you know and, and that's why when you that's why dynasties can become dynasties those teams keep winning We see, you know, as of late, UConn getting the best recruiting class, the number one, the number two player. But if the wins start to spread out a little bit to other teams and other schools, you can see them start to get the bigger, uh, the bigger uh, recruits as well. So I I agree, though. As a player, I would have loved to have been part of the dynasty. Don't get me wrong, you know, I would have loved to just dominate all the time. I mean, to be you know, in Gino or shoes or Tom Brady and Bill Belichick's shoes. And just knowing either every year or every other year, you're going to be playing for the championship. It's got to be a pretty cool thing, especially for those fans as well. Uh, But, you know, I hope parody keeps going on the women's side, on the men's side. We have certainly, certainly seen it, you know, with Kentucky being knocked out, you know, as a number two, Auburn being knocked out as a number two, Baylor being knocked out as a number one. I mean, you know, luckily my championship game is still there. Gonzaga and Arizona, I picked Arizona to win it all. But I mean, uh, again, you could pick those upsets early as you try and do in both the men's and women's bracket to score your points when you're in those pools, but you end up leaning toward the higher seeds. I think even on the men's side, I don't, even when I fill out my five and 10 sheets to try and win the pools, I rarely go lower than like a three or four seed to actually win it all. Cause I think it's so difficult for them to do.
1: Yeah, I think the Kentucky St. Peter's upset last yeah. weekend was the was the funniest upset. I don't know why I say funny. It just kind of was funny. They're the Peacocks. They're from a school with like 2,000 students. Yes. I lived in New York for five years, and apparently they're five miles away from Manhattan. I've never heard no of this idea. school. Never no heard idea. of this school. And they upset Kentucky. And now, like, I'm I'm curious, Mike, so Cal hasn't won, uh, Cal, John Calipari hasn't won a, an NCAA championship now in, what, 10 years? Like, what do you think that that spells out for him and his future? Because now I, I'm reading articles where I'm reading that Kentucky fans want him gone.
2: Isn't it amazing? You think championships buy you something, but for how long does it buy you? So I think what you find, and I hear this more and more, is when you get to the tournament, it's experience. It's players that have been around for a little bit to help. And we know Calipari has been the king of one and done. He's had guys, he's had three, four guys going first rounds of draft. So if you know you go to Kentucky and you're a great player, you're probably playing one year, you go to the tournament, and then you're going to the NBA. So while that helps you overall in your, obviously, your NBA career, where you eventually want to go, is the top players, that's where they want to go. But how much does it help? And we're seeing, does it help in the tournament? If you have a bunch of freshmen out there, one and done guys, You know, they haven't had that much time together to to get that cohesiveness to go the six games you need to win the championship. And I think we see that. We see it's usually veteran teams that are the ones that are winning because we've played with each other for a while and can live with the ups and the downs. So it is wild. I mean, Calipari years, you know, not too long ago was the toast of the town. He's getting the best recruits. They're going to the NBA and making millions. And, you know, he's doing great in the tournament. Well, that that stopped for a while, so you wonder if he'll change at all, or if Kentucky will get tired of that and move on.
1: And I did read that this team, I think, had more grad tra- or more transfer players yeah, on this yeah. Kentucky team too. So it's interesting that even like a slight shift in strategy for this season hasn't really worked out for them with the first round exit. But I guess credit to St. Peter's then for being able to uh, make the run to the Sweet Sixteen.
2: You know, and, and then how about that? They they win again. They beat Murray State. So you go to the East, you're sitting there in the East, and here's your four teams in the East. North Carolina, UCLA, Purdue, St. Peter's. I mean, my God, that, that's just unbelievable. They, they're going up against Purdue. I think the only Big Ten team left, the Big Ten, got smoked. They lost, what, four, three or four on, on one day. So it, it is amazing. And, and what we have left is... You know, yeah. You St. Peter's, Providence is in there. Villanova's in there, uh, but all you know, I mean, the rest are, are are the the big time schools. So we'll see where this goes. I mean, we we'll, could can, can St. Peter's. I mean, you know, if you don't have a horse in the race, you're rooting for St. Peter's, right? No. I know when I Notre watch Dame. Peter-
1: Notre Dame certainly doesn't have a horse in the race in this in this tournament anymore after that game on Sunday night. I mean, depressing finish.
2: Listen, I, I I thought it actually was going better than I thought. Notre Dame, by the way, lost to Texas Tech. Um, And this was a game late. And then, and and I know everybody ripped the officials. I mean, the non calls late were a joke, but Notre Dame also had their chances. A, you got to make your shots and B you can't turn the ball over. Not when you're playing a team that that, that's that good and Notre Dame was playing well, they, they did not play well at the end of that game. Again, I can look at the refs and, and who was it that got just smoked in the head twice under the basket for a no call. It was unreal, but I, I, I try not to be one of those guys that said I'm going to blame them because Notre Dame had their chances.
1: I'll do it. I'll blame the refs. There you go. I, I feel like, you know, what's wrong with blaming the refs? Like You <laughs> got to blame someone, right? I've, I'm so sick of sports fans being bigger than blaming refs. I'll blame the refs seven days out of the week you know what I blame the I I'm still salty that the refs took away Notre Dame's win over Florida State in 2014 like I think about that every night before I go to sleep really bringing it back to Notre Dame again I mean the refs like sometimes the refs just blow it and they and they stink and you got to call them (laughs) out for it
2: I love that I I guess I've tried as a player we always know there's certain plays in a game that you can look to maybe more than a call but but when a call comes especially at the end of a game you know, when there's so much riding on it, it seems magnified at that point. I, I can see why people jump on that. But so I'll let you be the one of the uh, us duo here of Golic and Smetty to be the one that rails on the refs.
1: I will blame the refs for you. I'll blame them enough for both of us. And I I'm, I don't know about you, but I, again, I'm finding the Notre Dame connection. This has been a very Notre Dame heavy uh, top of the podcast already. And I do not care, but no. Purdue is now my favorite to win because Jaden Ivey is their star player. There's that's the closest thing we have to a Notre Dame connection. I guess you could maybe say St. Peter's since they're a Catholic school, Right, I assume. But I'm going to go with Purdue now. Las Lafayette's like two hours away from South Bend, Indiana. Um, I'm rooting for Purdue. For those who don't
2: know, Jaden Ivey is the son of Neil Ivy, the head coach at Notre Dame, so that that's a connection you're going with now. So you're going with kind of a connection to Notre yes. Dame,
1: yeah. No. And I mean, I don't know how Jade Ivy didn't end up on Notre Dame's yeah. team. Yeah, I mean, that's the big whiff uh, for Notre Dame's men, Notre Dame men's basketball. But um, yeah, he's he's pretty darn good. He's probably going to be a lottery pick.
2: Yeah, yeah, he is. In fact, I I invited uh, uh, Neil to the to the uh, my golf tournament a little later, but it's during the NBA draft, and she said apologies, I'm going to be with my son. I said, that's a really good excuse, yeah. you know, to be with your son, you know, to, to, be, a, to be a pick in the, in the professional sports is a very cool thing. So I know a lot of people's sheets are blown up, but that's why I have 10 of them. So I'm still in some of the cash pools that I'm in because that's all I care about is winning the money. I'm not, I don't care about dignity at all. I don't give a shit about that. I'm just trying to win. So I have more than a few sheets that are still going well. I know a lot of people's are blown up. We'll see where it goes. You know, See, we're now in the Sweet 16 on both sides, and uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch, and hopefully it will continue to be.
1: The other thing I was watching this weekend, Mike, was the first race of the Formula One season. Have you been watching Formula One or Drive to Survive or any of the Formula One-related content that's out right now? So,
2: I'm I'm glad you brought this up. We're going to get to the NFL, and by the way, we're going to have Matt Ryan as a guest, uh, the, the quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts for, you know, a thousand thousand years. We said the Atlanta Falcons, but uh, uh, we'll we'll be talking to him a little later. We're going to get into the NFL a little bit, but I'm glad you brought this up. My future son-in-law, Ben Broniker, again, he was a a tight end at Harvard. He was a tight end for the Bears for uh, about four years. He's getting ready to go into med school. and He's getting ready to marry my daughter in a few weeks. He's big into F1. And I was kind of casually watching. We sat down to watch the first one of the season in, I'm going to, I'm going to say it, Bayron Bayron Bahrain Bahrain god dog it I tried Bahrain (laughs) so I know it was the first one of the season and I know they changed the car so he was filling me in on a lot of this and what a what a race it was Charles Leclerc, Leclerc gets the win and actually Ferrari went one two and they were on check out my knowledge Jess they were on what a 45 race losing streak they hadn't won in like 45 races and here they go one two and, and let me tell you, it was a ball to watch Lewis Hamilton takes third in this, the two guys in the, um, in the red it was the Red Bull cars, the Red Bull, they, they both had mechanical failures, right at the end that knocked them off the podium, but I, I loved it. I thought I think the course is cool. I loved watching it. I, I was learning a lot about the different uh, tires soft, medium and hard and how many laps they can go on them. It was a very, very cool experience.
1: That, i'm so intrigued by by what ben could have taught you about this because ben is you like you mentioned he's he's in med school or he's going in med school he went to harvard he's probably understands physics engineering like a lot better than I do and so like I'm watching this I'm watching there's new regulations this year with the cars there's regulations about the size and the weight of everything and how much money you can spend on certain things and changing certain parts and blah 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 I would love to hear someone who actually knows like physics explain this to me because I'm watching this through the prism of like someone who majored in television at Notre Dame. And I don't know what the hell is going on with these cars, but I watch it because I love all of these different characters. Like you, like you mentioned Lewis Hamilton, the storyline with him coming into the season is that in the last, you know, he won seven championships. He's tied with Mick Schumacher for the most championships of all time in formula one, and he's, he's actually won more races than Schumacher. He's won over a hundred races. And last year he was tied with Max Verstappen going into the final race in Abu Dhabi and the winner of that race. Was going to win it all win the championship and in the final lap of the race, the race director kind of changed the rules a little bit, allowed them to race it out. Even though Lewis had a, a big lead going into the final lap. And long story short, Max Verstappen wins. So now Lewis like went dark on social media for two months. Like no one heard from him. No one saw him. Everyone's like, is he gonna retire? What's going on? And so he came back like a couple weeks ago for Mercedes for testing. And now he ends up in this race. Mercedes has a brand new car. It's not as fast. They don't think they're gonna win anything. Lo and behold, he somehow gets third place at this race. Even though no one expected them to finish in the top three, everyone thought Red Bull was the favorite, but both Red Bull cars just crapped out in the final like 10 laps and it was super exciting. So I absolutely love formula one. I think you and I probably will be covering it a little bit on this podcast. Um, but I'm glad that you're, I'm glad that you're invested in it because it's not something that like my parents watched growing up, you know, like drive to survive is kind of the, the entry point for a lot of people right now.
2: And listen, I love NASCAR. I watch NASCAR. I think it's very, very cool. It's certainly a lot longer. That's the other thing. These races are pretty short, which is a cool thing as well. Which I love, yeah. Yeah, but I do love watching NASCAR. This is great. Oh, by the way, you can do Daily Fantasy on DraftKings with the F1 in in this series. So that's a very cool thing as well. I'm definitely jumping into that as I get to know these racers. But good for Ferrari. It's been a long, and, and you wonder how much of the changing the cars had to do with that. And Lewis Hamilton, the only thing I can I can think of when I hear him is I believe – someone will correct me, I'm sure, if I'm wrong – he signed an extension with Mercedes, and I think he's getting paid about 70 mil a year.
1: That that sounds I right. Mean, I mean, yeah, the money, oh in, my God. the money in the sport. What blows my mind about Formula One is that they travel the, – like, I've learned so much about geopolitics from watching Formula One. I've learned about where all the, like, Bahrain – I didn't know where Bahrain was until, like, Jess, a week I ago. Yes, I don't know what
2: ge- – I don't know what geopolitics means, (laughs) let alone, you know, you've learned about it. What what the hell is that?
1: I mean, there's, it really is one of the, other than maybe like international soccer, it's one of the few sports that I think like there's people from all over the world that are are part of it. And so it's really cool to watch um, and to learn, you know, about all these different drivers and where they're from and where they're traveling. But the thing that blows my mind when you talk about the expense, like, yes, the cars are expensive. The contracts are expensive everything that goes into making these parts is expensive. They they ship these cars and all of these tires and all of these mechanics, like all these teams from country to country in cargo planes, like every weekend all over the world. Like that to me is insane how they get these cars from Bahrain to Saudi Arabia, to Australia, to Miami, to Hungary, to Italy, like it's That it's was the, the one thing that Ben ever. was
2: explaining to me because he said where, because they, they were talking about on the broadcast, where the next ones were going to be. And because I, I, I know NASCAR to where they throw them all in a truck and you 18 wheel those things to the <laughs> next state to whatever you're going to go. He's like, oh yeah, they load these suckers up in a plane and are flying them. I mean, so the the owners of these teams have to just be so filthy rich in money that the tracks look pristine. The cars have to be worth obviously so much, but I did learn a lot. I mean, the one time the guy locks up his wheels and and bends immediately like, oh, that's going to have a dent in that wheel. They're going to have to change that. I mean, all the little things Mm -hmm. you kind of learn. I was very intrigued by it very much. So I think that'll be um, as long as Ben and I are in the same vicinity. I think each Sunday he and I will be watching that and probably making our DraftKings uh, daily fantasy bets as well.
1: So, drive to survive has been has been an amazing entry point for me to get into Formula One, and it's something that you know the NFL probably wishes it could do with Hard Knocks, but Hard Knocks is just such a, a watered down version of, oh, yeah. of you know all of this. Like they're never going to show you these guys swearing at each other, right, and, right? You know, talking about each other behind their backs. So I don't know. I mean, we, when you were in the league, could you imagine doing a show where you're actually giving your your honest opinion about you know the teams that you're facing?
2: No, I could not imagine looking at a camera and talking about that and doing that there there is no way i mean coaches certainly wouldn't do it and players i would feel very skittish about doing that especially nowadays just when you could be talking bad about a team and the next thing you know you're on that team the amount of trades and player movement that has been going on in the nfl has been unbelievable the big one that went on this week and we're gonna we're gonna talk to that person in a bit uh is matt ryan matt ryan gets traded from the atlanta falcons to the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts now are going to be on their seventh different opening day starter in seven years, still trying to find that next quarterback. I got to believe Matt will be the guy for the next couple of years, and we'll get to what precipitated this. It was the Deshaun Watson discussion about being in Atlanta that made this happen. But Jess, I think this is a great move for the Colts who have been trying to find that quarterback. I do think Matt could be there for a couple of years. is at two years left on his deal and we'll see what they do. But behind that line, behind that, in front of that running back and that defense, I know the AFC is much deeper than the NFC, but I, I think Matt is, is in a really, really good place with the Colts.
1: I agree, and I think it's kind of a it's a weaker division for sure in a stronger conference. Yeah. But I wonder why I wonder why the Falcons would do this. Matt Ryan has been such a stable force in Atlanta, and now when you look at the Falcons roster, other than Kyle Pitts, I just don't really know what they have. Um, and it, it seems like I and we'll talk to him about this in a minute, but it seems like such a, a betrayal almost of of maybe Matt Ryan, but also of Falcons fans who really liked him. He took them to a Super Bowl not too long ago, which you know, they probably should have won. And so, yeah, I, it's a great move for the Colts. I'm happy for Matt Ryan, but I wonder why the Falcons would, would do this and would publicly court Deshaun Watson. If, you know, they didn't know for a fact they were going to get him or not.
2: So that that's going to be the interesting thing. And that's something we can ask Matt who precipitated the move. So this, this leads to the other move that went on uh, that is really more, more about football, more than football, I should say. So, as far as why he left Atlanta, so Deshaun Watson was talking about four teams: Cleveland, Atlanta, New Orleans, and Carolina. And he spoke with the Browns, and that's what Baker Mayfield said. You know, trade me to the Colts. You know, and I'm sure the Browns are like, yeah, you know, we're not worrying about you right now, okay? Matt Ryan's a different right. story. Matt Ryan's the best, greatest quarterback that's ever played for them. As Arthur Blank, the owner, said, Matt Ryan's going to be in their Ring of Honor, and Matt Ryan will—you will be talking about uh, Hall of Fame as well, probably someday. So when Deshaun Watson says he wants to talk to the Falcons, we have to all understand what happens at this point when Deshaun Watson, but the situation that he is in, that's going to have to go to the owner, right? If the owner wants our our team to be involved with Deshaun Watson. And once Arthur Blank made that decision that said, uh, yes, we want to talk to him uh, about being on our team that immediately you, you think of that big, that big per or that person that sets up all those dominoes and makes that really cool thing when the dominoes fall, that flicks the first domino, Jess. That starts the dominoes falling. That says, now there's Matt Ryan there going, okay, wait a minute, you're gonna talk to this guy. So if he likes it here and you work it out, you're gonna bring him here and I'm done. Matt Ryan pushed his seven and a half million dollar signing bonus a few days to see if they could work out a trade. And what we'll what we'll try and find out is. Who precipitated that? Did Atlanta say, Matt, we're going to try and trade you whether we get Deshaun or not? Or did Matt say, hey, if you're already looking for another quarterback, why don't you go ahead and look to trade me? Either way, they don't get Deshaun Watson. and I never thought they would get Deshaun Watson. Uh, But Matt Ryan ends up getting traded. They signed Marcus Mariota because Arthur Smith, the new coach in Atlanta, he was with Marcus in Tennessee, so they have they have some familiarity there, but I'll be honest, Jess, their their next quarterback is not Marcus Mariota to bring them back to wherever they're going to be. Marcus may be a bridge for a couple of years, but he's not going to be that guy for them. So Atlanta is essentially starting over with what you said. Kyle Pitts and and probably what, Cordell Patterson, right? That's really about right. it. That's all they have.
1: Right. I mean, I think what it just shows you is how desperate NFL teams are to have a really good quarterback. And they're willing to overlook not just Deshaun Watson's current legal status, the 22 civil lawsuits that are accusing him of sexual misconduct, um, but they're also willing to throw their franchise quarterback under the bus seemingly, or or at least publicly show some, you know, distrust in him and moving forward in his future. So it really just goes to show like being a, a really good quarterback in the NFL is the most important thing to owners and all of these other things we can kind of brush aside and not only is Deshaun Watson going to now be the new Browns quarterback, but he also signed a contract that broke records in terms of guaranteed money and the Browns offered him a deal where he could only make a $1 million salary so if that he, he does get suspended. The, in the upcoming season, for um, you know violating the NFL's personal conduct policy, it's going to come out of his base salary, and his guaranteed money is basically not going to get touched.
2: Uh, it, it is so that so that's where we are with this. Listen, free agency and trades have have been incredible that's why the nfl is a year-round sport what cincinnati has done getting three offensive linemen the last one being lel collins the right tackle from the cowboys to go with Karras and, and kappa i think have been great moves there have been other great moves out there uh one of the latest has been von miller going to buffalo six for 120 now he won't see all 120 but there have been a lot of moves but this is the move that's going to be talked about just we're both on the field on the field when you just put the blinders on and talk football He's a great quarterback. He's a great quarterback. They got Amari Cooper, a great um a route runner. They have Njoku, the tight end who they like and, and um they have the two running backs uh as well, uh, with Chubb and with Kareem Hunt. Uh they have a pretty good defense, I think, to go with it. So it's a team that helped them on the football field. So now it becomes a bigger picture. And this is kind of the discussion I want to get into and, and what you think. Because I was asked this. What do I think? And it's like, the end of the day it doesn't matter what I think what matters is it doesn't matter look, look at Deshaun Watson and what, ha- what what he's being accused of and still going through a civil uh, uh cases with look what other guys have done look just what the Cleveland Browns have done and and I was talking about this with somebody else in the media a, a very well-known name in the media and they were like oh my god I forgot Do we understand what Cleveland did a couple of years ago? There was a guy who played for the Kansas city chiefs that shoved and kicked a woman on film on video and was released. His name was Kareem hunt and the Cleveland Browns signed him knowing he did that and knowing he was going to get suspended. They signed him. He was suspended for eight games and oh, by the way, he's been great for them. He's been great on the field. So Cleveland has done this before. So, my question has always been, just like I asked you last week what you, about Ben Roethlisberger, and you said you were young, younger, a lot younger at that point, considering you're young now, and this was, you know, a, a long time ago, but, you know, what if that came up with Ben now and you were as old as you now, what would the thought process be? So I asked Brown fans, what do you think? You know, what? What are you saying? I'm done with the Browns. And then when they start winning, they come back. Are you saying I don't care as long as it's good on the football field? That's all I care about, you know, because guys have done worse than this and, and, and still are on the football field. And I'm not saying that that they shouldn't be on the football field. I'm saying they go through whatever process that they're going through and then whatever gives them the opportunity to be signed right? They're not automatically back in the league. Somebody has to sign them. There has to be owners that say, yes, I will take that guy. And now we have seen the owner for the Cleveland Browns do it with Kareem Hunt and now do it with Deshaun Watson. So that that's where more where I go is if you're a fan of these teams, do you stay a fan of these teams? Does it bother you? I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer. It's just your opinion, how do you take this compared with this happening in the league and players still being able to play?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. I know I know some Browns fans who are shopping for other NFL teams right now, and I know certainly many Browns fans who are very excited about this signing, and it's hard to really wrap your mind around. I can't remember – I can't think off the top of my head of another scenario where this situation has played out where there's 22 accusations – well, right. over 22 accusations, 22 women – who are now part of this civil lawsuit. Um, there was a grand jury last or two weeks ago, and there's so much up in the air in terms of his conduct and, and what's going to happen to him on the field in terms of a suspension. So yeah, I guess if you're a Browns fan or, or any NFL fan in general, and you feel a little disgusted by it, I think that that's probably a pretty, a pretty normal reaction to have. It's a super uncomfortable situation.
2: Well, what I think, Jess, in the long run, it doesn't hurt the NFL, does it? The NFL is by far and away, the most popular sport in the U.S. I mean, and it's there's not even a close second. I think second would probably be college football. So I don't even think there's a close second. So I think people, some people get disgusted with this. I mean, uh, the optic of, of he makes five years, $230 million, all guaranteed this year. He signed a $45 million signing bonus and a $1 million salary. Just as just, just said. So if he does get suspended, that's all he's going to lose. And in the next four years, he makes $46 million guaranteed each year. So, and I guess my thought on that is, well, if you're going to sign him, make it the best business deal that you possibly can. You've already, if you're going to jump in, jump in with both feet. And that's what they've done. They and that may have been the turning point to get him to come to Cleveland because he's got to know he's going to get suspended so Cleveland mitigated the amount of money he's going to lose. So some would say, again, with blinders on, what a good business decision that is to get the guy that you want. But uh, so I, I'm not really sure where to go to. We can we can say, listen, I've been disgusted with guys that that abuse women. I think it's one of the most cowardly acts, and I'd say it to their face. Cowardly acts you can do is to hit a woman. You know, guys have done that. They've paid whatever debt they are were going to pay, whether it's civilly or legally. And then they have a right to be signed again. And somebody usually ends up signing them again. That's it's the way it works in football and probably other sports and other entities out there as well. So I I, I don't know where the moral line falls for everybody on this, but what I do know, and you can agree or disagree, it it does not seem to hurt the sport one bit.
1: No, I don't, I don't think it hurts the NFL at all. And I, I kind of would echo what, what Mina said last week, which is that like, you know, she believes in second chances, but she believes that they're earned. And right now, um, all Deshaun Watson has said about this is that all of, or at least some of the accusations that were made against him were, you know, consensual and, um, he's shown very little like remorse or contrition. Um, and so, yeah, he, he gets rewarded with a huge, huge contract in Cleveland and gets to keep playing football.
2: Yeah, what, what's interesting is you saw the Browns put out a statement and they said Deshaun, you know, said all, you know, we loved what he said. Well, well no shit. I mean, what do you what do you think he's going to say? I mean, and again, we'll, we'll probably I'm sure we'll find out more of, of what happened, you know, with because there's plenty of obviously complaints out there from the different women. But I mean, what what do you think he's going to say? Let let's not act like oh, we're good because he said everything's okay. You know, I mean, come on. I mean, that that to even put that out there and make the public swallow that one. Like, oh, oh, he said everything's cool. Good. No problem there at all. I mean, it, it just it just seems ridiculous at times. But again, in the long run, it just it just doesn't hurt the league.
1: As we mentioned, some of the fallout from that Deshaun Watson trade to Cleveland included Matt Ryan ending up with the Colts. So we'll talk to him after the break.
2: Joining us now on Golic and Smeddy is the new quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts, Matt Ryan. It seems very odd to say. First off, Matt, we really appreciate you jumping on with us for a few minutes. Of course. Of course. Happy to do it. And 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 we need to start off with, listen, you were at Atlanta for 14 years, and now you go to the Colts. But me being a Notre Dame grad, Smeddy being a Notre Dame grad, I, I this was almost hard to do. Jess, agree or disagree with me, three times... Matt was part of a Notre Dame-Boston College matchup and three times Boston College won. We rarely have ever talked to a person that has been undefeated against Notre Dame. So this is a tough pull for us, Matt. Listen, I'm in the hornet's nest. I know
3: it. I know it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, unfortunately, on BC side, the, the, those tides have turned uh, recently. <laughs> and uh, Notre Dame's been rolling. So uh, it was a fun, I'm telling you, a fun experience when I was in college. Playing there is I mean, it's one of one of the great places in all of college football. So it was an awesome experience for me.
1: And now you're in Notre Dame country. You're you're stuck in Indiana with all the crazy Notre Dame fans. So when they talk about, you know, the Catholic college that they watch football, it's not Boston College anymore.
3: (laughs) Understood. Yeah. Not far from South Bend at all now. And uh, it's, you know, the cool thing up there, though, is people are so passionate about about football right? And um, it's it's going to be a really cool environment to be in. I'll probably get worn out with the Notre Dame stuff pretty quickly, but uh, it's all good.
2: Yeah, it, it'll be interesting if you ever buy Notre Dame stuff for, for maybe your your kids all of a sudden will become Notre Dame fans, which <laughs> would be really interesting to see.
3: <laughs> it'll it'll be a, a tough pill to swallow, but if the
2: boys are into it, you know, you got to do what they want. I mean, it, it's so weird. I've been covering you all my, my, basically my career in media after football as an Atlanta Falcon. So, While it's weird for me, I I can't even fathom your thoughts. So, so let's start with, I mean, I know I've heard you say last week, you never knew what was going to happen. Then all of a sudden this all happened. So if you could kind of take us through the timeline.
3: Yeah. I mean, it was, um, it was certainly, you know, like it's Wednesday today, my days are all screwed up. So (laughs) (laughs) it's been that kind of week, but um, really, you know, Tuesday last week, uh, Sunday, Sunday, last this two Sundays ago, I got a call from, from Arthur Smith kind of filling me in on, you know, what, what was going on. And, uh, he was incredibly, you know, gracious and professional, uh, in, in, in how he did everything. Uh, but, but really the ball got rolling Tuesday and, um, you know, Tuesday through Friday, I didn't know what was going to happen, uh, whether or not, um, they were going to go in a direction. I was going to be forced to be traded, or uh, if it didn't work out, um, you know, then then kind of figuring out what my options were from there. And and you know, so I, I kind of knew I wanted to at least see w- what was out there, regardless of what happened. And um, had to push some things back with contract and do all of of the paperwork things. But you know, felt like that was in my best interest to to give me the most you know most time and. Uh, most leeway for them uh, to to be able to do whatever it was that that I decided I wanted to do, and um, I thought they handled it really well. I do. Um, it's not an easy thing, you know. A lot of it is not stuff you want to hear, uh, but that's part of you know that's part of it. Mike, you've been through it. You, you you know it. I mean, the 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 thing you can ask for is honesty, and I got that from them. Um, and and then you know, really, this past weekend, I got the chance to meet with the Colts. Um, had a great interview with them on on Saturday night. Uh, and then, you know, Sunday through the beginning of Monday was was really the, the first time Sarah and I said, OK, what what are we going to do? And um, we just felt it was the right time, you know, and, and going into an organization that, you know, has, has built a really good roster, do things the right way, have a great uh, culture. Uh, I just felt like at this time in my career, that's where I needed to be. And, um, you know, so things happen quickly and, you know, it's a long winded way to, to try and, uh, put it in, but a lot of, a lot of things happened, you know, during the past week.
2: And along those, and I'm so happy you mentioned the communication went well, because I've always been amazed that, that people don't communicate. We hear the word, the story about the great linebacker in Seattle, Bobby Wagner, not Hicks hearing from the team that he got released. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that the communication was good. At least you felt on your part. Did you have, or how much did you, or I I guess, when did you know, even when Deshaun Watson and that deal didn't work out, when did you know my time in Atlanta is going to be done?
3: Um, It was on my, it was on my end. Uh, And so, you know, I I had a a really good conversation with Arthur Smith um, after, you know, after the trade didn't go through Uh, and, and you know, he had told me before. He said, "Listen, you you, you have to take time to, uh, you know, figure out what's best for you, what's best for for your family, uh, if you can, you know, still be here and be 100% committed, or if you need to to kind of explore other options." And so it was really that Friday after things didn't work out that you know it was it was uh, decision making time and and time for us to to get the wheels in motion. Um, but really, I mean, it was, it was not until after that meeting that, that we really had the conversation of what we wanted to
1: do. So prior to that call with Arthur Smith and, and the Deshaun Watson rumors, you did expect to stay in Atlanta and retire there.
3: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, you know, obviously I didn't expect it to happen this year prior to last week. And, um, you know, you never know what's going to happen. I know that. Uh, from from having played with guys that that had to move on and just watching how how the league operates, but you know my commitment was was to that uh, until last weekend and um, you know it changes quickly there, there's no doubt about that, but I also think like the the right situation and, and all of those things um, after you know they didn't land, Sean had to be in place for me because you know there, there's a lot of, of roots that that we built here in Atlanta, and, and it's a great place for you know myself and my family. Um, so there there was you know lots to consider, but I, I said it yesterday, uh, you know after going through it, I, there was really only one spot uh, in my mind of of where you can make a transition, feel like you're going into a really good organization that's well run. Uh, that has a commitment to winning football games and and has a solid locker room. And, um, you know, that part of it, you know, made the decision easier because uh, had it not been a situation like that, who knows what would have happened.
1: What is the hardest part of making that decision? Like, you obviously have friends in Atlanta. Your kids go to school there. You have teammates, the fans who I think, you know, have shown that they they really love you and and are sad to see you go. Like, what weighed on you the most when you're making that decision?
3: That's. It's hard, I, I don't know. I mean, all of it, um, you know, and, and like I have a great relationship with Arthur Blank. Uh, he's been incredibly supportive of me through, you know, my 14 years there. Um, the fan base has been amazing to me. I mean, there's been ups and downs. There's no question about that. But, um, you know, I felt the love, I felt the support. We're treated really well uh, here in Atlanta. We have a great life. And um, people are respectful of, of us and, and, you know, our family life. And, and, and those are all things that, you know, are, are, are really important to you. Um, I've got great relationships in the locker room uh, with, with the teammates. We've got, you know, they've got a really young roster and, and a lot of guys that, you know, as a, as a veteran player, it's cool to see them develop and, and, and be a part of that. Uh, so that part was tough. Um, you know, a really good relationship with the new coaching staff. Uh, there and, you know, develop those bonds really quickly. Um, So I'm not sure if I can say one thing, you know, was was heavier than than any of the others. Um, But, you know, the collection of all those things made it pretty heavy. And, uh, you know, it's it's bittersweet for sure, because, you know, it's hard, hard to leave those things. Uh, But I think the excitement outweighed it. And, and and ultimately, you know, that that is, you know, what's m- most important for me and, and I think for my wife, too. You know, I, I think she's equally uh, as excited for me from a football standpoint, you know, and, and the opportunity to uh, play in a new place and, and feel that excitement that comes with that.
2: Yeah, no doubt. It's a package deal with you and your wife and your kids having having set roots so much. In Atlanta, I know you said the highs and lows. Don't worry, we won't bring up the Super Bowl, so we won't, we won't <laughs> do that. Um, so so as we transition now to the Colts, so I, the, the last one for me on from Atlanta to Indy, did you have, because there were other teams, Seattle needs a quarterback, Carolina needs a quarterback, did you get the say on where you got traded to? How, how did how did it become the Colts? Well, I I, I made the
3: request to, to that I wanted to talk with them. Uh, and, you know, and so I kind of looked around at, at all of the, you know, possible options and, uh, listen, there's, there's good options everywhere. Um, I I do believe that, and, and there's a ton of great organizations, uh, in this league. Um, but for what I was looking for, uh, from a coach, from a GM, from a player standpoint, uh, guys in the locker room. I called around a lot and talked to a lot of different people about, you know, Indianapolis and some some other spots uh, and just felt like the feedback I was getting, you know, that that was the first one I wanted to to look into. And um, so so that's that's really, you know, was was my process on my side of it. And, um, you know, they were they were great. The Falcons were great in in terms of, you know, making that happen. Um, It's not the easiest position I understand that they're in. Uh, as well but they they were really good about
2: making that happen as far as then go because it's a, it's a new world now with communication and social media so how quickly did you start communication with all of a sudden you got new teammates you know it's matt ryan everybody and, and what we can do all you see on twitter is you in a blue jersey now <laughs> you know and and and, it, and this is what happens you know it happens that quick so how quickly were there communications between you and your new teammates Immediately. So it it was funny. Um, Chris Ballard texted me with like a long list
3: of of guys on the team to reach out to. And, you know, I I had wanted to do that, but I had to fill out paperwork on my end too. Right. And so I'm trying to fill out all this paperwork and it takes a half hour, 45 minutes, whatever it was. And these guys all beat me to the punch. You know, it it was, it was amazing, you know, to, to hear from all of the guys in, in that locker room. Uh, And I appreciated. You know them reaching out, so you know I've probably never been on my phone as much as I have been for the last week. I'm not like the I'm not like the best person at, at, at that. I'm not you know glued to my phone, but for the last week I have been, and uh, you know it's amazing how quickly you can get into contact with guys, and uh, that part's just different, really, for me even from like the beginning of my career. You know, uh, 2008. You know, iPhones were not what they are now, and uh, (laughs) the guys always laughed at me in Atlanta's locker room because I told them my first year in the league I I had a flip phone still. You know, (laughs) and they're like, dude, that's crazy. So um, it it got going pretty quick, and uh, you know, the outpouring uh, of support from from teammates up there, and and coaches, and, and those kind of things was really cool to see.
1: And Peyton Manning reached out to you, right? I, I heard that you guys are friends. I heard you talk at your press conference about him calling you after the NFC championship game and uh, telling you like, Hey, here's what you need to do. And you yeah. we're like, Hey, I want to eat dinner. Like <laughs> <you> just <laughs> got back from the game. So what did he reach out? And what did he say?
3: Yeah. I had, I had a chance to talk with him and, and he's, you know, he's been great. I mean, obviously, you know, he, he is and forever will be, you know, one of one of the two faces of, of that organization when it comes to, to quarterbacks. I mean, it's Johnny Unitas and him. And, uh, you know, that's that's pretty, pretty cool company for for me to be in. But he he's he's really been great to me throughout my career. And, you know, as as, you know, an older guy who I looked up to and and was, you know, one of one of my idols when I was in you know, high school and college and, and watching what he did. Um and, and he's been incredible throughout my career and, and he's been incredibly kind, you know, through this transition as well.
2: Last one for me is we, we all everybody sees player movement, player traded, player release, player signed somewhere else. But there's a family involved here. And you've had you know, family is is only known Atlanta. So how how has Sarah and the the boys like reacted to all this?
3: Yeah, I mean Sarah's Sarah's been incredible. Um you know, she's, she's more of the level-headed, you know, non-emotional. She is, she, she, she gets it. And she's, you know, been through it. She was an incredible athlete at BC, you know, uh, basketball player there. And just, you know, so she understands from like the competitive side, the teamwork side, um, you know, how it works. And, and she's been through it with me this entire ride uh, in my NFL career. So she was kind of the level-headed one, you know, the one that was Uh, the non-emotional, and I'm kind of the one, like, oh, we got all this going on, and uh, so she was, she was kind of the rock through everything, Uh, and that's typical for our relationship in general, you know, she's, she's really the steady one. Uh, My boys, you know, are, are, they're four, so I've got the twin boys that are four, Uh, so they were just, they were more confused with like what was happening to their bed sheets, the Falcons bed sheets, and, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and they'll never really be thrown out. We, we've always, you know, that's a special, you know, part for us, but, you know, talking about different colors, different mascots. I mean, all they were concerned with yesterday was meeting blue, the the mascot up in Indy, uh, and getting to spend time with him. And, you know, God bless that guy up there, man. He, he, he got worn out by two, four-year-olds all day yesterday. <laughs> and uh, and they were great to him, but uh they're they're excited you know they're at at such a cool age where you know who knows what what their first memories are are going to be when they're older um but yesterday was a special day and and something that you know if there is something that they remember from this time i think it could be you know, an exciting day like yesterday.
1: My last question is that I I saw that you took out a full page ad thinking Falcons fans. Do you actually write that yourself? Does Sarah write that? Like how are, how do you write something that long and get all of your feelings out?
3: Yeah, it's, um, you know, it it was a long conversation with uh, a collaboration with Abby Diaz, you know, uh, my my sister-in-law and, and, you know, we had a long talk, um, and, and you know, I kind of put bullet points together, and then she kind of sent over a rough draft, and we edited and, and did those things, and, and got it to where, you know, I felt great about it. Um, so she she really helped through that process, and I, I thought, you know, echoed exactly, you know, what I wanted to say, and I thought she did a great job with it, and, I, and I'm so thankful for for her. Um, is team effort for sure, but you know, I also know you know there's some people who pull more of the weight, and and she you know definitely did that, and I appreciate her for that. Um, and I think it hit you know kind of all of the notes I wanted to hit. How thankful I am for the opportunity, uh, how grateful I am for um, you know the the time we had there, and and all of the people that made it you know such a special time for us. And, and I thought you know, the ending was exactly what I wanted it to be, that um, there is so much change in life. uh, And there's certainly change for me professionally. uh, But the thing that will never change is the time that I've spent there and the way that I felt during that time and and the way that people treated me during that time. And, um, you know, for that, I I really thank everyone in Atlanta.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not even a Falcons fan and I read it and had a tear in my eye (laughs) reading that. It was touching. Yeah.
2: I mean, listen, you you and your family, Matt, are, are a class act, always have been, on the field and off the field. And you you leave Atlanta, and as Arthur Blank said, we'll, we'll be in the ring ring of honor there someday. And now you move to a team, hell, we, we have time to get into that. You moved into a hell of a team that, that in a stacked AFC, but man, that team's got a whole lot of power behind it. And you're going to add to that. So uh i'm while well, we're sorry it ended in in atlanta we're we're happy it continues for you in indianapolis and we appreciate a few minutes this morning of course of course i got a pretty good NB guy blocking in front of me too which uh yeah which, and again for those that don't know also mike McGlinchey, the offensive lineman with the 49ers it's your cousin correct correct yeah my yeah. cousin
3: so it was funny um i've changed numbers uh once or twice since i've been in atlanta cell phone numbers and. Uh, Mike texted Quentin real quick. And he has like four numbers in his phone saved for me and sent him the wrong one. And so Quentin texted, texted an old number. And, uh, and then, you know, I texted him reaching out and he's like, Oh man, I screwed up. I sent one to your old one. I said, don't worry. That poor bastard has been getting worn out
2: all day. (laughs) (laughs) So Whoever that guy is, I apologize, but uh, thanks for fielding all those texts. Oh, I I need to text uh, Q and tell him to send your kids Notre Dame gear. That's the first thing (laughs) I'm going to do right now, man. Hey, Matt, best of luck, man. Appreciate the time. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. So really nice of Matt Ryan, Jess, I think, to, to be able to join us. I mean, it has been an absolute whirlwind for that guy. So it was nice of him to take some, some time out and uh, and chat with a couple of domers.
1: Yeah, and Stugatz is really pissed with me, Mike, because you got Matt Ryan to come on Golik and Smetty and not to go on you know his podcast that you do with him on uh, God Bless Football and Stupidity. But I have to give credit to Chris Golik, for booking this whole thing with Matt Ryan's wife. I mean, I told Stugas, if you want Matt Ryan to come on the show, you got to get Abby to start DMing Matt Ryan's wife if that's how things get done around here.
2: It was amazing because I was like, you know, we, we we were trying to think of a guest for this week and, you know, this trade then happened and my wife's like, do you want Matt Ryan? And I looked at her like, you can get me Matt Ryan and she's like, yeah, I, I DM with his wife, Sarah, you know, the last they, they DM through the end of Mike and Mike and, and, and me and Trey and my son. And so she DM them while they were getting ready to fly to Indy. She's like, well, we're flying to Indy. How about, you know, we do it the next day, you know, and, and so they're DM. I did everything through them. So I'm like, all right. I told my wife, "Who are we get next week?" You know, it's <laughs> you, you you set the you set the bar pretty yes. high. Yeah. Well, I'll,
1: yeah. The, the true power broker of this podcast is your wife, and hopefully next week we'll get Tom Brady.
2: Yeah. How about it? I mean, somehow, some way, but uh, but you know, real quick on Matt, Jess, I mean, I'm so happy to hear that there was communication because you 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 find that too much that that you know not not to say that we're owed this or owed that, you know, but it's just the right thing to do to communicate, you know, to anybody, whether they've been there a couple of years or 14 years, you know, it was a long relationship there that there was communication on how it was going to end and, and met, you know, kind of steered them toward Indy and able to work that out. Cause, cause I think while the AFC is stacked, Jess, I, I think, man, what Atlanta wasn't going anywhere. They are very young and kind of rebuilding this Colts team with that running attack. And, and the fact that, that, the last four years, Matt's been sacked over 40 times a year. That's not going to happen in Indy behind that line. They got a good defense, so I like how, how this team can come together.
1: I agree. I think it's it's super exciting for him. So I'm I'm happy to hear that he feels he feels good and, and rejuvenated and excited about the opportunity. And and yeah, but next step get Quentin Nelson to send him some, uh, some goodies from the Hams Bookstore. This has been a very Notre Damey episode.
2: <laughs> it is. You know, that's just the way it is. Tough. We don't apologize for it. And the next thing I want is a picture of his two kids with some Notre Dame gear on. That, that's going to make me very happy. So, all right. So, uh, we appreciate uh, everybody tuning in to uh, Golik and Smeddy. And uh, we'll be back again next week uh, with, who knows, whoever my wife gets us as a guest.
1: Tell her to start DMing Giselle right now.
0: If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1 800 Gambler in Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Wyoming. 1 800 Next Step in Arizona. 1 800 522 4700 in Colorado and New Hampshire. 888 789 7777 or visit slash chat in Connecticut. 1 800 Bet's Off in Iowa. 1 877 770 Stop in Louisiana. 878 Hope, New York or text Hope, New York. 369 in New York. Visit okgr.org in Oregon. Call or text the Tennessee red line 1-800-889-9789 or 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia. 21 plus only, 18 plus in New Hampshire and Wyoming. Physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Michigan, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full terms and conditions. No results guaranteed. Void were prohibited. Eligibility restrictions apply. See www.draftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full details. Odds and lines are subject to change.